0: Why don't we grab our Bibles, we're going to turn to Romans chapter 13, we're continuing our series there. I couldn't resist in honour of Father's Day telling some bad dad jokes, given I couldn't get my cafe idea across the line. But here's a couple, I'm sure you've all got your own arsenal. Particularly Peter Marks here who's giggling along, he's got plenty to spare if you need some more. Here's one, I'm afraid for the calendar, it's days are numbered. We should... Oh, that one took a little bit to... Okay, not so... Right, fair enough. I'll, I'll get some tips from Peter later on. What do you call a factory that makes okay products? You want to know that one? A satisfactory. I feel like these are better than the response here, but it's all right, we'll, we'll press on. It's, it's always the case with a dad joke, isn't it? What did one wall say to the other? I'll meet you at the corner. Did you have that one, Pete? No, I think you got that. Or oh, here's, here's the classic dad responses. Dad, did you get a haircut? What have you got to say as the dad? Which one? Which one or no, I got all of them cut. Correct. <laughs> or oh, here's one. I I confess I use this with my kids all the time. Kid comes says, Dad, I'm hungry. Hi, hungry, Hi, hungry I'm dad. Yeah. Or please to me that works too. There you go. <laughs> all right. Let's read a passage of scripture together and then we're going to pray and see what the Lord would do amongst us this morning. Romans 13, continuing this flow of thought from the Apostle Paul as he's writing the book of Romans, verse 8, he says this, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. Salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Can we pray? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is able to accomplish all that you desire it to accomplish as you send it forth. And we pray that these words, Lord, would be sent forth in the power of your Holy Spirit to bear great fruit for the glory of your name in our hearts and our lives. Give us listening ears today, Lord. Give us a receptive heart to hear what it is the Spirit is saying for us. Just come and have your way afresh. We need you, Jesus. We need you. Come and have your way, we pray. For your name's sake, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're in this series looking through the... The wonderful letter that Paul writes to, to the Romans and we've unpacked as this year's unfolded this incredible theology around the gospel, what it means, what it looks like, what what the essence of it is, kind of examining it from every possible uh, angle in, in, in each of the different contexts that Paul brings it to us and proclaims it as the message of salvation. But he doesn't let the gospel stay theoretical. There was this transition we looked at. He could have easily finished the letter there as this incredible book of theology. But he moves from the theology of the gospel to, if you like, the practicality of the gospel. The gospel looks like something. And he's writing to Christians living in a secular empire, much the same as we are today. And so there's There's plenty, hopefully, that we have looked at that is of of value and relevance. And as he continues, there is this, hopefully, this stirring notion of, of what the gospel actually looks like as it is outworked in our lives and in our communities. Just to get us up to speed, so he started off looking at the the expression of church. He talked about the gifts of the Spirit, that this, this is the picture, you're a body and everybody has a role and a part to play. He talked about living with this, this genuine authenticity. Let your, let your love be, let your lives be genuine. Don't let there be a sense of hypocrisy. How often has the church been known over the centuries as a place um, of exactly that? He then talks about, And we talked about this last time, overcoming evil with good. And and one way that we can do that is being a people who live with honor. And that um, outplays in various ways, but particularly talks about in the way that we approach governmental authorities. That's where we went last time. And here we have, of course, this encouragement, this commandment to love one another. Now, not only, again, is Paul saying that this is is some kind of peripheral issue, he's not saying, if you feel like it, on days when it's easy, if there's people around you that you find lovable, then I'm encouraging you or giving you a suggestion that perhaps, maybe, at least on some days, at least more often than not, it might be a good idea to love one another. I, I want us to just... Rest for a moment in the strength of his encouragement or it, his, his, his exhortation to us here. He's saying, Owe oh, no one anything except to love, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Now, he's going to talk about some different commandments, and he's not trying to downplay those commandments, he's not trying to say that they're no longer important, but he's saying there is something so central of central and foundational importance, that without this, all of the other commandments are not resting on the correct foundation. In fact, it goes as far as to say, with this, all of the other commandments are fulfilled. It's, it's central, it's, it's foundational in terms of the way that the gospel is lived out, in our lives Now, if that's not enough motivation, he then goes on in verse 11. He says, besides this, if that's not enough, if you've not got enough of a, an urgency of the need and importance to love, remember this. And he's reflected on this a few times. He's saying you are, you are living in an evil and a darkened age. And so seeing the, the way that society and the way that the, the times and the signs are playing out around you, that should give you an even greater urgency that there is a need, that's not the optional extra, that this is something that you should be compelled into with a great sense of calling and passion as you live this out. Now, of course, all of us, I'm sure, would know that, that this particular thought here is not something that originates from the Apostle Paul. Christ himself, he talks in through the gospels matthew mark and luke about the greatest commandment if you've been around the church for two minutes you've probably heard or not even around the church people outside the church they all know about well this is the greatest commandment that jesus himself he said you've got to love the lord your god with all your heart soul mind strength and love others love god love others this is the great commandment now john doesn't mention that particular encounter but in his gospel, he has this this great little scenario and scene in John chapter thirteen, as he is sitting around with his disciples, these very same disciples. Remembering he's he's gathered with uh, with fishermen, with you know the the working class. They're a little rough and tumble, rough around the edges. He's sitting around with zealots, with some of his disciples. He called the sons of thunder because they they had this. This passion at times, they're a little over the top. They're happy to just call down fire and judgment and let's just wipe them out, Lord. It'd be much easier, much more effective. Can we take that particular path of ministry? He's, he's sitting down with tax collectors. like all, all of these interesting dynamics at play within these people that he's, he's called to invest into. And he says this in John 13. He says, a new commandment I give unto you That you love one another, even as I've loved you, love one another. If that wasn't enough, he says, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. That's John 13, 34 and 35. Now, I would love to have known how that went down. Anyone else hear a passage like that? And you're like, I would love to have known as these disciples that were sitting around with Jesus and regularly arguing about, well, you know, what, what's, what's the kingdom going to look like? We're here following the Messiah. He's going to overthrow the, the Roman Empire, and, and here comes Jesus. And there's, a, there's a, a central importance to this particular moment that he spends with the disciples. He's like, this is, this is a central, this is an important, this is a new commandment. I imagine them thinking, well, okay, well, this, this is it. This is the moment. This is what we're about. What's it going to be, Jesus? Where are you going to lead us? What, what, what's, what's going to be centrally important in this kingdom, this rule and reign of authority? You're preaching the kingdom, what, what's, what's the heart of it like? And he says, this is the new commandment, that you love one another. Now, I, I have no idea what their response would have been. Like, uh, I guarantee you, though, there would have been some kind of a response. Would it have been stunned silence? Really? That's what this kingdom is about? Would it have been a rolling of the eyes? Maybe this was something that Jesus talked regularly about. They're like, oh, here we go again. We're talking about the love stuff, you know? Love, love one another. What I can guarantee you is I don't think that that was what they were expecting. And I think sometimes we're a little bit the same. As we hear this principle, at times there's almost a little bit speak for myself here, almost a bit of an inward groan. Like, really? We know it's the commandment, but here we go again. And just give me a mountain to climb, give me some Romans to overthrow, give me a principle, give me a practice. But here is Jesus again, and here in this passage is Paul again, focusing on and really narrowing it down to this essential reality of love. Of loving God and of loving one another. And I want to explore that this morning, just briefly, around these two kind of notions. I, I want to look at the, the foundation of love. This goes to the very foundation of the kingdom and of who God was calling, or Jesus was calling his disciples to be, of who Paul is calling the Roman Christians to be. Is this foundational element of their calling. And the second aspect of this is the fundamentality. This is fundamental to the mission. Remembering that uh, Paul is coming to the Romans with his passion to preach the gospel. That's what he's talking about. It's like there, there's a message to be proclaimed. I, I'm here telling the good news. But there is a fundamental aspect to the proclamation of that message. That involves the way that we respond and relate and treat one another. So that's where we're going this morning. Hopefully there's not too much rolling of eyes and thinking, here we go again. Because I I do believe there is something so important and critical for us to understand in this space. There is a, a New York Times bestseller, a book that came out earlier this year. And this is the title. It's called, The Good Life, Lessons from the World's Longest Scientific Study of Happiness. Now, a bit of background, I only recently came across this book. I think it was released in January or February this year. And there's been a little bit written about it. Um, The Atlantic had a particular article. I've heard a few podcasts talking about this particular book. And obviously, it's been wildly popular since it was released. Now, this book was written by two guys, Waldinger and Schultz, who are the current directors of what's known as the Harvard Study of Adult Development. I hadn't heard anything about that. I don't know whether you have. Maybe you have. But this is a... uh, There was one acknowledgement there. This is an 85-year-long Harvard study. So it began back in 1938, the Harvard Study of Adult Development. You can look it up. And they've been investigating for 85 years... The Secrets to What Causes Humanity to Flourish. So they began right back then, 85 years ago, with 724 participants, and since then have been following these people through. Most recently there was a few thousand descendants that were a part of this study that were uh, obviously related to this initial group some 85 years ago. And it's called, by their own admission, this is what they they call the the, step, the study itself the longest in-depth longitudinal study on human life ever done in human history. And that's a, that's a big kind of statement to live up to. But fair to say this is a significant study done over many generations around this whole notion of what actually makes us tick. What are the essential elements to human flourishing. What what are we all about? What makes us human? And what is the secret to health and happiness? And so these particular authors, the, uh, the current directors of this Harvard study, wrote a book early this year publishing their findings from this 85-year-long study. Now, interestingly, they came up with one on a list of one characteristic, one essential element There's lots of others on the list, but they focused on this one dimension, this one aspect, this one notion that continually came through over generations of studying human behaviour and development. Who can guess what it is? Yeah. They phrased it as relationships. Relationships with others. That loving and being loved is the centre of human flourishing. Without it, we cannot flourish And with it is, in fact, the secret and the source to human happiness. It is the longing of every human heart. Now, as as, uh, The Atlantic and other articles have pointed out, it's fascinating, isn't it, that it's not career achievement, it's not money, it's not wealth, it's not exercise or a healthy diet. That the most consistent finding through 85 years of studying human development, what makes us tick? Is that it's all when it boils down about loving and being loved? It's about relationships. Now, you might say, well, what's the point of that? I mean, it shouldn't surprise us, should us, as believers, because that's what the Bible proclaims. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, talking about God's plan for creation. It's it starts off with these two words. It says, in love. What was the origination of God's? plan for you and I, it was love. It says, in love, in love, because of his love, through his love, as a result of his love, that's the context, in the purposes of his love, one translation says, he planned that we should be adopted as his children through Christ Jesus. In love, he predestined us, we were created for the essence of humanity, his His initial original thought, his design and his intention birthed out of love was for us then to know and to receive love. The ultimate fulfillment of that love, not being human love, but being his adoption of us as his sons and daughters, knowing his divine love. That was the purpose of creation, the, the crowning moment that we celebrate, that we've sung about, that we've taken communion to proclaim and remember his salvation on the cross in our place. The, the centrality of the gospel being focused on the cross is good and it's right, but it's against this broader backdrop and this panorama of what? what what's there as the, the motivation? What's there as the, the substance? What's there as the why? It's not just an afterthought, is it, to kind of fix up a mistake. It is that one defining reality and agreement, that that undergirding, that foundation of love. It's the purpose of his heart, and it is the ultimate need for which we were created to know his love. It's fundamental to who we are because we're created in his image. God is love. And for God so loved that he came to rescue and redeem so that we might know his love. That's the proclamation of the gospel message. It begins and it ends with that reality. It's, it's that foundational in who we are and who we're created to be. You see, the interesting thing is, if you look at the study done by Harvard, if you look at this biblical picture that upholds the essential reality, that that notion that this this is what the Bible proclaims, this is what generations of study of human behavior holds up to be true. And yet the funny thing is, if you think about it, is how much of our lives are actually geared towards that. And it's, it's part of what this book illustrates and unpacks that if it truly is not career achievement and money and exercise or a healthy diet or anything else you could put on the list, but it's actually loving and being loved that is the path to human happiness, and obviously putting a Christian lens on it, the scripture proclaims that it's ultimately his divine love, not just human love, then how much of what we pursue and spend our time investing in and heading towards is actually about that end goal. I've been thinking that in terms of my parenting with my kids. I think the default is as parents, and I have a lot of conversations in that space, you know, what what do you want for your kids? And normally, if we're honest, we'd probably go to things like well, we want them to have a good education, want them to have a good job, want them to be kind of responsible human beings, well, fill in the blank. And that's not to say that any of those things are unimportant. Maybe we could think of it another way. How much as a society do we invest in the outside? In our body image, in the latest dietary fat, in our gym memberships, in our our diets? And again, not to say that looking after our health is not important. All I'm trying to say is, isn't it interesting That so much of what we've built up as a society is actually taking us away from, not towards or in the direction of, that which we were created for. That which even a secular study points us towards being the very thing that we need. This is what you need. I mean, it it gets even worse, doesn't it, when we live in a secular society that actually points us away from relationship as being the answer to anything at all. It just says, well, look at yourself. Radical individualism. This is where the answer is. Just love yourself. It's all about self-love. Just kind of look in here. That's where you're going to find meaning and fulfillment. The trouble is, Scripture proclaims, studies will uphold, all the way until whenever it is that God calls time up in human history. That's not the path to fulfillment. It's not. We are made for... And made to love and to be loved. And statistics, if if you want to look at some local statistics in our own nation, I just pulled down some from, there's a a 2023, it's called the State of the Nation Report, looking in our own context in Australia. And, And it talks about some of these key indicators of mental health, all of which in the last decade, the last 20 and 30 years, even worse, have gone through the roof. So, according to this report, one in three people that's around us in Australia, one in three adults has a profound sense or lives with a profound sense of loneliness. If you look at the statistics for younger people in some demographics, it's as high as two out of three. Two out of three. There is this profound need, there's this profound longing. And this is where I'm heading towards as well. There's this profound opportunity for us to be a part of not only what we were called to do, but the heart and the centrality of the message of, God, of the gospel, which is not just experience the salvation of Christ, but there's a bigger picture. Experience your salvation so that you would know his love. So we prayed from Ephesians earlier, isn't it? Rooted and grounded in the work of cross on the Christ, so that you would know the fullness of what you were created for. So we've, we've kind of talked a little bit here about this, this foundational reality of love. Scripture proclaims it. Studies will uphold it. And I want to then move to talk about this, this fundamentality that there is to uh, this notion that, that Paul is, is encouraging the Romans in to love one another To the mission, to the proclamation of the gospel. Now, he uses this interesting phrase in verse 8. He says, owe no one anything except to love each other. He says, don't be in debt, some translations say, except the debt that you owe to love one another. That's an interesting phrase, and it's a phrase that Paul has used before. In fact, it begins the book of Romans chapter 1, talking about him being a debtor to preach the gospel. I'm a debtor to preach the gospel. If you think about that, there's only two ways, and I know I've said this before back as we began the book of Romans, there's only two ways you can be in debt to someone. And one is if somebody's loaned you something and you owe them some money to be paid back. Now, Paul's not saying that. He's not saying that as he comes to preach the gospel. He's not saying that to us, that somehow people have loaned us something. But the other way that you can be in debt is if somebody has given you something that is actually the property of someone else. Say you collected money as a, a charity or an organisation that was actually for another purpose on behalf of these individuals. There's a debt that you owe to give or to pass that money on to the intended recipient. And so Paul is, is saying here to, to the Romans, he's saying, there is a debt that you owe. If, if this indeed is the truth of the gospel, as he's unpacked it as he's proclaimed the great message of salvation that we are not only saved from our sins but we have encountered this radical God of love for God so loved there is a sense in which we owe those around us there is a debt there's an obligation not just to keep that to ourselves but for us to share that with one another. We're in debt in the sense that we have what they need. We owe the world an encounter with what they were made for, which is the one thing on a list of one, to know the love of God through Christ Jesus. Jonathan Edwards, a great Puritan reformer, he he phrases it this way, and I love this. He says, the work of redemption was the most glorious and wonderful work of love ever seen of or thought of. Love is the principal thing which the gospel reveals in God and Christ. And he goes on and he says, the work of redemption which the gospel declares unto us above all things affords motives to love. He's saying the work of redemption, if we understand that, it's the most profound and radical declaration of a God who's so loved. It is. It's the very evidence of who we were made to be and the gift that he has provided for us. But at the same time, he says that very same work of redemption, which the gospel declares to us above all other things, all other motivations, the primary motivation We should be feeling, if we've truly encountered and received and live in that place, is a motivation to love others. You see, the truest reflection of a father who's so loved is not a system. It's sons and daughters. The truest invitation of the gospel is not just inviting people to a radical practice, to some nice activities, to Sunday services. It's inviting people into the the radical relationship that sin has separated them from, for which they were created and purposed before God laid the foundations of the world. And so often we, we kind of move, don't we, from this, this picture of who we are and what we're drawn to do. There's something horribly at times challenging and confronting. It's the, the rolling of the eyes of, oh, okay, here we go again. Talking about we've got to love people. We understand. And rather than becoming these communities of loving, passionate Christ following people, demonstrating his love and the power of a Christ-transformed life in a darkened world, we default to what we know best. Building buildings, running organizations, developing centers that draw clouds, to hear the story, but miss this radical encounter with the love of God. That's what transforms That's what Jesus is saying should mark us as believers. Not the power of our services, not our preaching alone, not that we sing the right songs or we belong to the right denominations that holds the correct version of whatever doctrine it is. The one thing he says above all other things is you should be a people marked by love. Love makes a difference. It's foundational, but it's fundamental to the true proclamation of the gospel. The great need of humanity and the great gift that we can encounter and enjoy each and every Sunday and that we can give to the world in need around us. Where's, Brendan, do you want to come up? I just want to finish with one practical illustration because I think sometimes it's 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 hard to know specifically. We we hear the message, maybe roll the eyes a little, maybe something in there resonates, but so often it, it then doesn't translate into some specific action on the ground. But what, what, what does that actually, what does that mean for? What does that look like? And it's Father's Day. I want to use an example that I think I referred to this last year on Father's Day, but I was so encouraged to, to read and hear this story relating to fathers and their work in the particular school and event that happened over in the U.S. And this is kind of to illustrate, to give hopefully some fleshing on both the, the, the power and importance of what Paul is trying to say, the, the, the fundamental reality, but of also the difference that it can make if we just grab a hold of what scripture actually says. I mean, who would have thought that if you actually put it into action, it's going to make a difference. But this is the story of Dads on Duty. Who remembers that from, I think I mentioned it last year. Anyone remember that story? A couple of people do. I love this account. But this was back in 2021, September. And there was a particular school in Louisiana that had just had this this pandemic of violence and crime. In fact, in a matter of days, there was a dozen students and staff that were assaulted, including the assistant principal and other staff who had to be hospitalised as a result. Because of the violence that was happening in this school in Louisiana. Um, in fact, as a result of that, there's 23 students that were arrested and placed in police custody. And they held this emergency meeting with the parents to think, what what do we... What are we going to do with this school? We had a similar thing last year with a school in Canberra when there's, you know, the violence has gone through the roof. it's not it's no longer safe. What, what do we do? How do we approach this circumstance? Well, there was a group of dads that sprang into action. Originally, it was only five five men. Pretty soon, that grew to being 40 fathers from the community calling themselves Dads on Duty. It's the end of uh, 2021, and so all they did was they. They turned up in the morning on campus just to wander around, to interact, and to talk with the kids. Forty dads. This is a big school, a few thousand students. The fascinating thing is, it says nearly instantly, and certainly within the first few weeks, there was not a single further incident on campus, on, on the campus, and the violence and the gang, bot, the gang battles stopped completely. The newspapers came in, interviewed these dads, and one of them. One of the questions was, well, what's what's the strategy? Like, what are you doing? Clearly, it's made an impact. And this particular dad, he said, well, other than a broad selection of bad dad jokes, all we do is we just come armed with love. Don't you love that phrase? Armed with love. We come armed with love. Eventually, the city's mayor, Adrian Perkins, he turned up to see what they were doing, and he declared in October 26 that that... that, that particular day was going to be Dads on Duty Day. Now, there was a news report done and it went a little viral. There was more than 50 million views on social media and this program has been rolled out into various states and schools over the last couple of years in the US. All it was, was a group of dads, 40 blokes, 40 guys who said, you know what, stuff's happening and not all of them were even dads of kids in that particular school. 40 people who said, not on our watch. We're going to do something about it. We're going to come armed with love, and we're going to turn up to make a difference. That's really what I want us to grab here. When everything in society says, disengage, build walls, just focus on yourself and find someone else to blame. We see as we read the gospel, everything in there points us towards engaging to a people who say, "Not on my watch." Things things are bad. I mean, that's that's what Paul's saying. He's saying even more when you recognise there's an urgency around you. Don't just sit back and just say, engage. Not on my watch. I'm coming armed with love, armed with the very thing that makes difference. The very thing. That's the essence of why we were created. All of us can do that. What would it look like? Even in a church our size. Forty dads can change the direction of a school. What would it look like in a church? What would it look like in a community if the churches actually grabbed seriously this need and this call And this invitation to truly love. To truly love. If the world began to look at the church, which I think is what Jesus is encouraging his disciples, that should be the model that the world sees the church and they're like, oh, we've got it so wrong because that's what we're looking for. That sense of genuine commitment to one another, Of love, of a people not disengaged but engaged to make a difference. A people marked by his love, living in his love and armed with his love to shine bright in the darkness around us. Can we stand together? I pray for us and then there'll be an opportunity this morning to receive prayer for ministry. Our prayer teams are ready to go. As I said, there's no urgency to rush away, but there is for those who can stay opportunity to grab a cup of coffee, enjoy some fellowship, some little treats in the cafe for dads in particular. But before we get there, just with your eyes closed, with your attention fixed on the Lord, you know, my prayer for us, each and every one of us here, for us as a church, is just saying, "Lord, what does what does that actually mean for me?" Probably each and every one of us would know the the reality and the truth. Well, yes, it's the great commandment. I know. I love God. I love one another. But hoping in some way that there's a fresh, a fresh sparking in our hearts of that foundation, but that fundamental reality of being that kind of a people. And so simply asking, Lord, what, what does that mean for me? How, how can I engage rather than disengage? How can I reach out rather than building up walls? How can I be someone who who turns up armed with love? What does that look like? And in what contexts is that relevant for me? Is it in my family home? Maybe disengaged there? Is it with broader friendships? Family members, friends that are a little estranged? Maybe this morning's the moment where the the Holy Spirit will just prompt you. Maybe it's time just to give that person a call. Just to let go of those things. Maybe it's in your workplace. Maybe the, the struggle is there. Seeing all the stuff around, all of the social agendas, all of the... It's easier just to take the back seat or to look for the exit door. Maybe there's a moment God's calling you into that place for such a time as this. To carry and to bring that incredible power and presence of the love of Christ. So, Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for these words of Paul to the Romans. What I want to ask that that whatever is of you for each one of us in this room this morning, cause those things to burn in our hearts. Lord, may we respond accordingly. May there be a grace to let go of things that need to be let go of and to, to lift up, to run with fresh passion, to persevere. Thank you that you've called us to overcome evil with good. Thank you that you've called us to shine as lights in the darkness around us. Would you show us this morning what that means for each and every one of us? Vision on duty. We're turning up. We pray that in Jesus' name.